I'm Ian Taylor. No, I'm the real Ian Taylor. The real Ian Taylor loved going to film class and loved hanging out with all of his friends. No, the real Ian Taylor loved doing a film podcast called Thursdays with Maury. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Ian Taylor, trying this again for a second time. Uh, in the 85th episode of Thursdays with Maury, in the mood for therapy, otherwise known as free, fucked up, strange, psychosexual Japanese films. Thanks, Japan. I'm your host, as I just mentioned, and my co-host tonight, a musician, artist, and above all else, fellow pretentious asshat Devin Kane. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good, man. It's like we're uh, we're returning to form, in a sense. This uh, this podcast just started with you and me, and uh, as if we haven't alienated our further dwindling audience yet even more, now we're talking about these films, which uh, <laughs> I remember pitching this. Um, just uh the the name just came to me um i was thinking of these kind of films um after so some time ago i'll rewind this a little bit uh we were suggested a film called tetsuo the iron man which had been on my radar for a little bit but i haven't dived into it um but when i saw that film i was completely blown away by just the sheer energy and insanity and um explorative nature of that film uh, just made on a complete DIY, you know, budget. And, you know, I would liken uh, that guy's work to David Cronenberg in a sense, but I'll get to more of his later. But I, when I, when I uh, looked further into his filmography and saw A Snake of June, uh, uh, needless to say, I felt compelled to uh, ta- tackle that uh, film in some form. And so I was thinking of two other films that might fit the bill. Uh, and they all quite hap- they all happen to rhyme. There's uh, ooze in all three films, and I think you go. I think you make that sound when watching them at some point. Ooh, ooh, or ooh. Oh, you know. <laughs> there's uh, there, 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 there's different inflections of ooze uh, at some point through all the throughout all these films. Um, and O's no, like, and ums. Oh, lots of ums for sure. Yeah, the um, full vocal range. And then. Uh, and, and any time that I pitched the episode idea, uh, talking about psychosexual misadventures in Sunrise Land, everyone just goes like, "What?" Yeah. Because they're not even what? sure what I'm saying. But uh, um, <laughs> no, I think that there's some interesting uh, ideas here. I I picked up uh, Sunrise Land from Mr. Bill Wirtz, um, because he's who I uh, rely on for my Japanese history. <laughs> What's Sunrise and world Land history, for that matter? Oh, Sunrise Land is Japan. So all these films take place in Japan, were made in Japan Whoa. by Japanese people. And and something that, that I also will say off the bat, just to preface this a little bit, the way I look at these films um, is a bit like uh, that deleted scene from The Office where the guy, you know, has these uh, interesting <laughs> drawings that flows out of his thing. And he says, it is called hentai, and it is art. Well, I mean, I it's a... Technically, I don't think these films would qualify as that, but I do think that they are art, and I think that they are rather uh, explorative. A little more elevated. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I think so. Like, if you look at these films on the surface, you think, what kind of degenerate, you know, pornography is this person looking into? But really, I think that these films are more like essays on the topic of sexuality rather than, you know, just... Uh, show and tell yeah you know? <laughs> it's it, it's not like love where it's just like oh you just made a borderline porno that you pretended to be a movie like these movies have something to say but it uses sex to get its point across it doesn't the point of it isn't sex and i think that's a clear difference and uh this episode for me is more like that episode of futurama where 
they're all forced to have sex with the Amazonian women, so it's just constant. Oh God! Oh no! Yay, snooze snoo. <laughs> Just that's, bro, that's my snooze snoo. snoo. <laughs> that's, that's a good analogy. I'm scaroused. Um, I'm very scaroused to do this episode. Oh then. man. Anyways, um, <laughs> and you know, I, I I felt remiss if we didn't invite a guest on here that uh, was of the other gender just to provide that perspective. And Soraya was going to be on board for this episode, but she uh, ended up getting a gig. I think it's called Star Trek. <gasps> um, which is a pretty big uh, response, you know, responsibility. I think she's going to be the third. I don't know if there's any NDA. That's that sequel to Star Wars, right? <laughs> oh yeah, probably. Anyway, <laughs> sounds like a big day, Soraya. I'm happy for you. I'm Me hoping too. I'm getting your name right this time. Um, <laughs> but um, thanks oh, for being a sport yeah. and uh, and showing uh, enthusiasm anyway for being on the show, which we will have eventually. She suggested us doing the. Czechoslovakian stop motion adaptation of Alice in Wonderland back in Easter, and I loved that film, uh, as crazy and fucked up as it is. And that um, episode. And so this was my response back, like, "Hey, do you want to be on board for this project?" Um, it didn't end up working, but she, <laughs> no. she, the the spirit was willing. I will say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you, <laughs> sir. This episode. Yeah. Oh yeah. Devin um, claims he'd do it on his own, but you know, couldn't have had it without you. And we're hoping you're kicking some million ass on the Star Trek TV show, and I hope your series is a lot better than Discovery, because that was a bunch of crap. <laughs> First well, film. Either way, <laughs> work is work. Yeah, work is work. That's true. I mean, hey, it's an amazing gig, and you'll still be the best part about it, I'm sure. Uh, oh, yeah. you know, show the big actors who's boss. Speaking of showing people uh, who's boss... Uh, Devin, considering this is uh, one of Andre Tarkovsky's favorite films, I feel like you have no choice but to love it and to introduce it. Spoiler alert for Woman in the Dunes. You know what? That is a fact I wish I knew, and I am amazed that I'm just finding this out now. Incredible. So, Woman in the Dunes is a 1964 film directed by... Shit, what's the guy? Hiroshi Tishi... Teshigahara, I apologize if I butchered that pronunciation. Hiroshi I think Teshigahara. the T's are silent. I've been, I've been rehearsing them earlier, but then Teshigahara. I didn't my notes. All right, yeah. So this film came out in 1964, and I believe it was actually nominated for Best Foreign Film back in the day. I don't believe it won. And Best Director. And Best Director. So first you know, foreign the reputation film. of this yeah. film um, you know, was recognized by the Academy back in the day. And... It can be hard to talk about this film without sounding really pretentious, though it would be very fitting considering this podcast. Hey, but um, what I will say, what I think that this film does so well, uh, and I'll get into the plot here in a moment, is just how simple and elemental its scope is. Like, it takes a very simple story and a very simple premise and really dives deep into, you know, the topic of human relationships. Um and I think it really gets into uh, entrapment, um, whether it's on a physical level or a societal level. Um, we'll we'll get into that in a moment. I don't. I also will say I don't have any like uh, fully thought through theses on these films, although I think these films do present them. Uh, but I think uh, through you know the power of our discussion and the sheer tyranny of will, we will uh, come to some consensus, perhaps, uh, <laughs> on uh, the meaning of these. Films. <laughs> But really, it's our our discussion is going to be just as explorative as the films themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
all that is just preambles to say, I don't know what I'm talking about. And, uh, <laughs> we're going to figure that out as we go. Um, we're winging it. Uh, so, yeah, one of the dunes. Doing great. Uh, it's about this um, man who's an etymologist. He's uh, He likes bugs. So he's out in the desert. Uh, he's also a school teacher, I think. Uh, he's, out, he's out in the desert, and he's looking for these rare bugs. And he's uh, putting them in glass cases, which is, uh, I think, pretty good foreshadowing. Um, so he's out in the desert. He's looking for these rare bugs, and he's studying them. He's uh, having some ponderings about, you know, his relationship back at home. Uh, he ends up taking a nap in a sailing boat in the middle of the desert, which I think is a pretty, you know, interesting image to say the least. Mm -hmm. Quite symbolic. Um, again, it's hard to talk about this film without sounding pretentious, but again, it does simple things very, very well. Um, so yeah, this guy takes a nap out in a boat, and then he when he wakes up, uh, he realizes he missed his last uh, bus going home. Um, so a, a local villager meets up with him, asks him what he's doing, making sure he's not doing anything that uh, they're uncomfortable with. But um, this villager ends up uh, setting him up uh, to stay for the night with uh, this woman, uh, which, you know, sounds all fine and dandy so far, except uh, she lives at the bottom of a sand pit. Uh, and the only way he can get in and out is through a rope ladder, which uh, they lower him in, and everything seems all fine. Uh, you know, it's all very civil. She's very hospitable, and he's uh, trying not to take up too much space, but, you know, this is just an interesting kind of experience meeting up with this person. Uh, then he wakes up the next morning and realizes he was kidnapped uh, yeah. by the uh, basically her and the people of the village um, because they don't have enough people, and uh, I believe her... Uh, her husband and her son died so this is how they keep the village alive by literally kidnapping people uh-oh <laughs> whoopsie <laughs> whoops <laughs> fell into that one oh step, step straight into that one didn't i oh fuck oh baby so no so, so, so it's a very simple premise there's a very clear like frustration occurring the um he's he, he you know gets understandably very frustrated very mad about the circumstances because you know, it's entrapment, and um, I feel like that might uh, describe uh, some people's relationships that they end up falling into, or situations they end up uh, getting into. They kind of end up falling in a hole, and the solution seems for it seems obvious, but then you know, powers that be kind of keep you trapped there. Uh, in this case, it's a villager who uh, refuses to, ro to lower down the rope ladder because uh, she wants him there. He doesn't want to be there. Uh, things get heated. Uh, then they get really heated. Uh, I'm not going to beat around the bush stand up having sex, which is the poster art. And when you watch this, you spoiler. think, oh, this is, yeah, spoiler word. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> when you look at the poster, you think that this is a uh, grape movie. Uh, that's the word I'm going to use. I'm going to throw the G in there. Oh, God. Um, but, um, I mean, I was going to say, like, uh, oh, there's sex in it? Spoilers. God, I would never have guessed. But, They're clearly friends. But, uh. I was totally surprised, you know, going into it, um, that, you know, it's her that wanted him and not vice versa. Um, so which I, I think that really changes the dynamic, at least in terms of my initial perception of this film going into it. Sorry, Michael, we're we're just live right now. Yeah, we're doing okay. a uh, Twitch. podcast doing here. A podcast. If you want chat later, we'll uh do an off the record thing. Uh which is okay. the voice chat below. Yeah, if you yeah. don't mind just muting yourself, like, I don't mean to be rude, it's just that way, there's no extra sound coming in, but if you want to, you know, input on any of the films we're talking about, at the end of each review segment, uh, we'll do a, um, you know, 
we'll let our viewers come in and sub in their thoughts on the film or our discussion or ask any questions. Thank you, Michael, for tuning in. You're the best. And thank you to anybody else who's listening. I'm so sorry, Devin. Carry on. All, all, all ten of you listening. <laughs> <laughs> yes, on... all 6.9 people listening. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a encompassing all platforms, too. So, yeah, I mean, this film really took the rug out from under me when I first watched it. Like, I'm, I'm still processing what I think of it, but I think it's a very apt metaphor for a lot of relationships that people just kind of fall into. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there can be a lot of resentment and frustration uh, at first, perhaps, um, for whatever reason. But, uh, you know, eventually maybe pe- people kiss and make up and they kind of accept this lot in life. Um, and yeah, a lot of crazy stuff happens in this film that I don't want to quite get into yet. But uh, Ian, I'm really curious what you thought of it uh, watching it. I thought it was great. Uh, did I think it was as great as people say? Uh, I don't know. There's, uh, I think it's too long for starters. Like I get the point that it is supposed to feel long. Like it's supposed to represent a long, agonizing process. You know that the characters are going through and to kind of match their turmoil and i get that and i respect that but i feel like at the two-hour point i was just thinking i get it. you know like i i feel like this film could have wrapped up by now and it would have been perfect certain scenes could have been sped up a little bit certain lines of dialogue probably didn't need to be there and it would have been perfect but i feel like the length is the same problem i had with inland empire where it's like it's a great movie that outstays its welcome at least for me mm-hmm. and i think certain I- aspects of you could have told me this was a film from the 50s and would have believed you. Like, it's obviously, like, it's technological achievement for the most part, and it was definitely the best they could have gotten at the time. But I think, like, the natural lighting looks absolutely gorgeous. Like you said, like, the sunrise over the ocean when he falls asleep on the boat. Like, that looks stunning. But any time they use, like, actual, like, pr- not practical lighting, but, like, actual you know, set lighting and lamps, and it doesn't look the most convincing. It kind of pulls me off the experience at times. There's one point in the movie where it's just like, oh, he just literally has a spotlight on him, but all of these villagers have torches, and somehow this guy has a spotlight. Like, that that kind of took me off the experience a little bit. But the film more than, like, I totally get it. Like, I get the appeal that this film has. There's still a lot about it that stuck with me. I think, like, the main women's performance uh i apologize if i don't remember her name kyoko kashida like i think her performance is excellent and i think actors like that you know isabel johnny isabel who pair like i think those are actors that really deserve the title of pointing out putting yourself out mm-hmm. there and taking really hard and ballsy roles because as we'll get into with perfect blue filming the sex scene is uh not the most comfortable experience so the fact that these actors are doing that constantly and putting themselves through so much emotional turmoil in the process but all in the form of tasteful art not just putting themselves out there to give people boners that's impressive and i think she was the best part of the movie and when the entomologist was interacting with her that was the best part of the movie i think when it isn't focused on those two it did kind of pull me out a little bit like the other villagers looking in just weren't that interesting there's a lot of scenes where they kind of give convenient exposition for the sake of it is and does feel supernatural but for the most part it's a very compelling experience it's a great 
It's a perfect two hours that unfortunately had to be two and a half hours long. That's my review. Oh, fair enough. I, I, I can see how, like, those moments might kind of slog, but I do think that they really, you know, showcases just how, you know, how much time kind of goes by and becomes irrelevant after a while when you're trapped in, I think he's in there for, like, three, four months or, or longer. Yeah, exactly. Um, like, I don't know if how to do it any other way. It's just, it's, it should have been done another way, I guess is what I'm saying. I mean, it sounds like you might be privy to maybe wanting to remake this and, and, and do it in your own way but i think I, the, <laughs> the time that they spend on it remake this, yeah. does add to does add to the theme of that frustration because you, you feel frustrated for him the whole time um, in that situation um even when things start to uh you know become uh better in in, in a sense but you're still kind of like going through those moral and ethical questions like you know he has a wife at home or at least you believe he does but you never actually see her. You actually never see what his life at home is like, and it just becomes this, and he's mm -hmm. just trapped in this. And I think the um, the image of him trying to climb up the sands, and the sands are just falling down on him and coming up under, yeah. coming up from under him, mm -hmm. as a very apt metaphor for my life. Um, <laughs> I, mine and many others, I think, uh, people have related to. That was a comments on YouTube uh, upload of this <laughs> film. Um, it's just, just like time stamping that scene saying this is my life right now um it's like running down an upward escalator which i which i've tried i don't recommend uh, make it I a trip left ankle still feels it but um no i think um for real though i think that time spent was actually really added to it and it, yeah. and it created this sense of tension throughout that i felt like mm. i i felt that yeah. tension all the way to the very end um because you're just wondering well I guess I'll spoil it. So they do eventually have sex, and it's quite a you know a passionate scene. It's actually not very um, again exploitative, nor is it explicit. It's like, very tasteful. It's actually very yeah. It's very tastefully you know done, um, concerning what it is, and it was on. I I guess I guess you could say it was mutual. I mean it was it, it, it sort of started as a fight, and then it became something else, but um, turns out she uh, becomes pregnant uh, from that as as you know, as one does. <laughs> yeah, no condoms, unfortunately. Um, but, um, no, no anything. They're just going in dry. That sounds terrible. I'm sorry. But, um, <laughs> no, no, no. You know, you know what? I, I, after, after watching this, I just immediately thought of that quote from, uh, Attack of the Clones. I hate to stand. It's dry. It's rough. And, and I'm like, I finally understand the, yeah, the, the I this, this frustration with stand. It just, uh, it gets in places you wouldn't want it to get to. Yeah. Um, although uh, they they have, they have some very beautiful tender moments of them cleaning sand off of each other because that's something you kind of have to do frequently when you live in a sand pit. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's kind of like a dreamlike, surreal this place to be. It's the last place you would ever want to put your house. And they asked a lot of relevant questions in that situation, like how come you never leave? Like what? You know, you know, life is much better out here, right? And he says. Yeah, but then no one would care about me if I lived outside of the sandpit, would they? Yeah. Because, you know, she, um, you, you know, the village basically rations out, you know, supplies to people that they pay for. And, you know, she gets like a little care package every week or something uh, coming down from this rope ladder. And they really compare, you know, what city life means and what this village life means. And she finds a lot of meaning in this really rough existence because this was the house she grew up in and you know, people just kind of accept this lot in life that they 
uh, have acquired because it means something to them. And it makes him question what his life meant to him. And even when he had the opportunity to escape by the end, uh, it kind of leaves it in, in, over the air whether or not he takes it. I think he actually, you know, ends up coming back and starts accepting that yeah. maybe, you know, that living was in the sandpit maybe maybe makes my life meaningful. And that was an ending I wasn't expecting. I was expecting him to just like, you know, fuck off the second he had the opportunity to. Yeah. Because you, you expect that you expect that through the whole film, but the fact that it lingers on this moment and he's like i have the opportunity to leave but i'm wondering what that'll mean now if, if if i do and man that that still sits with me that's what made this film like nearly perfect yeah for that me. ending e is e even with the length. despite my issues oh, yeah. with the length i think that ending is perfect like it's one of the best ambiguous endings out there and it's interesting you took like the it as an allegory for relationships I kind of had a different approach. Like, I took it as an allegory for celebrity relationships and kind of the media influence. Like, you know, this guy well, that tries... Well, I think um, mm -hmm. if you look at how the villagers are, uh, you know, are entertained by them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and the villagers kind of coerced them into it. You know, it's kind of like, you know, people coercing celebrities to date online. And, you know, them, like being forced to have to get along and constantly trying to leave is kind of symbolic of celebrities like leaving like being afraid to leave a relationship and have it all crumbling down when the media breaks down on them and you know the ending kind of symbolizing like you know do I genuinely like love this person or am I just loving this person because everyone else wants me to or do I the leave love or like, is it Stockholm Syndrome exactly <laughs> but I thought like that was and, an interesting uh, take on it too and there's clear like references to voyeurism and lots of shots, lots of Baraka shots of uh, people looking directly at the camera or looking like straight down at something off in the distance. You always feel like you're being watched. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack with this movie. It's kind of like what Steven said with The Matrix, where there's so many different interpretations you can have of this film. And all of them are kind of right. Like, it doesn't really feel like one of them would be outright wrong. Like... There, there's no like crazy conspiracy theories it feels like it's open to interpretation but at the same time if you just watch it as a story about two reluctant people falling in love it's also a great movie like you could get a lot out of it either way and it's rough around the edges sure but at the same time it, it it's more than they're in its place in cinema history i'm not denying that whatsoever oh yeah and it's a shame that you know it's like a double-edged sword when you have uh you know provocative imagery like that for the cover is that people will think about it one way, but um, you know, it, it may be hard for them to see. Yeah. I didn't even see that image. Surface, so. In fairness, well, the, it's it's the main cover of uh, you know them having sex that becomes like the main uh, box <laughs> art. But I mean, yeah. it just gives you kind of a, a certain impression of what that means. Um, but then this film absolutely surprised me with uh, the depth of what it explored and the nuance as well, like that whole scene where the whole village is egging them on because he wants to he said he wants to go see the water he's not going to try to escape he just wants to you know be able to see the surface for like 10 minutes and they said okay we'll we'll do it if you have sex in front of everybody uh, yeah and then that's a it's whole like, crazy ugh, scene that yeah. they do or it's like do, do the thing do the thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> say the and, line and, and, and he just he's just standing there with like spotlights around him and they're whole all holding torches and then he ends up having a breaking point where there there is an attempted uh, there, and it gets really rough, but it just gets sad. Um, yeah, it's so pathetic. Like I, <laughs> that was probably the most oh, realistic man. scene in the movie when it's like they're just like actually like trying. 
I'm gonna it's go like, out. We, don't even have uh, to. we can just pretend. Yeah, and and and, and 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 that's really. I mean, yeah, that's that's the thing I was expecting from like the outset. I'm glad that it didn't go all the way, but it's still you know an uncomfortable scene. I do think it says a lot about uh, society. Yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> go out of my way and say that was uncomfortably relatable to my first time trying to have sex. It's just like okay, like the sh should we like take uh -oh. off our clothes? Like should we? like kiss first or do we just go into it it's so uncomfortable but so believable just as well finding the rhythm getting into it is is the tough part yeah it's like it's like you get into a position and then suddenly your leg is cramping and you don't want to stop but you're you, you can't you, you're like losing circulation yeah. things like that but we're uh, revealing a lot about ourselves this episode <laughs> uh, we're maybe this was meant it. to uh well, maybe not it, maybe this was meant to be just the two of us after all you're finally learning just about the us guys two of us. oh man uh, yeah it all out there this film looks gorgeous when it's shot with natural lights it looks fantastic uh mm -hmm. i thought some of the studio line looked a little fake but eh, maybe it ties in with it's my celebrity allegory so I, maybe it kind of fit at parts but other times I, it's I just do, kind of like yeah. there's they only have torches how are they getting these massive spotlights beamed on them at the moment True. Well, it's got to expose right on film. I mean, what else are you going to do? But also, I do think that even the studio lighting was used very artistically. It was used in more of a moody sense rather than, oh, we're trying to fake natural light. There was times where when he first sees her naked because she – so they fall asleep basically naked in this uh, in this sand pit because they're going to be coated in sand by the end of it. And if you have that kind of in your clothes, it gets in between your clothes and – you know, they, they they rationalize everything that leads to this, uh, you know, point. But there's this be there's these beautiful shots of him just kind of looking at her, just being coated in sand. And the way they film, you know, flesh and sand, and the uh, kind of textual similarity they have on the film stock. Again, it's really hard to not sound pretentious talking about this, but it's so beautifully done. And it takes just a simple thing, these very elemental things, and just photographs them in a way that really speaks volumes and in a very subtle way like it's loud and quiet at the same time like mm -hmm. it's it says a lot while being unassuming is, is what i'm going for and that's what makes this you know yeah it doesn't try scene. too hard it's never like really overtly it, preachy or it's not being you over the head <laughs> with anything it's just a simple story done really really well and i think that's what makes it work so well they said all right let's start with the simple story but branch out from there like i think I only really think artsy films like this can work if it is a simple narrative. Like, if you try to go over-ambitious, like something like Southland Tales, or... Uh, I'm blanking <laughs> on other examples, but we'll go with that just to piss Steven off. Yeah, right off the bat, you know, you have to worry about, like, connecting all these different characters and all this world-building together, while also putting an ambiguous, strange, metaphorical narrative with lots of symbolism on top of that. It doesn't really work. It's just putting a hat on top of a hat. But if you have a simple story to work with, you could be like, okay, let's do something simple really well and artistically branch out from there. And I think that was a really smart approach to take of this movie. Yeah, I believe so. And I was just reading this. Um, that is, it was based on a book by Kobo Abe. I was believe how you pronounce it. Uh, and I do think that it made sense that it started as a novel, as like a short story. Um because there is something very novel about the premise, and I think that storytelling was, you know, a core focus on on this. And then adapting it to film, I've heard that 
the visual language that they use to represent passages in the book are very, you know, symbolic and apt without being too overt, you know. Like I was talking about how he was looking for these rare buds in the sand and trapping them, and then that ends up being kind of a, a little bit of foreshadowing. <clears throat> and that, be, that comes up later when he's, um, you know, trying to preserve these bugs, but the elements keep roughing them up or they keep getting destroyed in some sense. And then he eventually, at some point, I think this was actually a really kind of understated point um, of no return for him, is when he ends up burning the bugs that he collected. Because, you know, yep. it's not a hobby that I have, but it's something that to him is very precious and I felt for him. Like, oh shit, he's just burning that bridge now. Like, he has no, in his mind, hope of going back to his old life. So he's literally burning the thing that he came out to the desert for in the first place. Um, to, you know, to, to, to preserve life. And, I don't know, that just felt like a very powerful but understated moment to me. Mm -hmm. Like, damn. Yeah, lots of great symbolism there, and, uh, I feel like there's something there with all of the different insects he catches, and the fact mm -hmm. that, like, he tries to show it off, but <laughs> she isn't really interested in it, but after a while she, like, tries to make an attempt to be interested, and there's something to be said about, like, artistry, and, like, kind of, like, artists, like, trying to date people that aren't interested in the same field, and trying to connect with something, you know, neither of you really understand. I feel like that's, you know, a core reason why Tarkovsky likes this film so much, because from what I understand by what I've read from Stalker, like, that's very much the kind of narrative they're going for as well. Like, a simple story of two men journeying into the unknown, but they're two artists in two very different fields just trying to, like, understand and connect with each other on the way. So yeah. that definitely added some Tarkovsky vibes to it. And, yeah, like, the atmosphere is great, the sand dunes are like really interesting artistically but they also had like tons of tension like because when you're going up sands you're just like all right and like am i gonna make it like am i gonna is this last step gonna be it is it gonna crumble down beneath me you know what if i get too high and i fall and break my neck like it's just a simple great way of adding tension something i wish movies would do more often like you don't need any silly like elements like bombs or you know nuclear you know, power plants going off to add, like, ridiculous levels of tension. Just use something realistic. You know, use vehicles breaking down, like in Mad Max or Sands and Woman of the Dunes. Like, it just makes it so much more visceral and relatable to what the characters are very, going through because it's something we go through in our day-to-day It's a very grounded, real yeah. problem. I've heard someone even describe this as basically a, a new modern allegory, which... Uh, might be might sound a bit lofty but i do think it Go actually it. is very fitting it, it is it is very allegorical for again entrapment or celebrity you know relationships i think it kind of tackles all of that a little bit or you know just kind of ending up in a place in life you weren't expecting to and not being happy with it at first and then coming to terms with that in yeah a way. there's also like this... you know abusive like somebody said that's an allegory for abusive relationships and it's an allegory mm -hmm. for like families kind of forcing couples to get together again there's so many different ways you can interpret it and it's not like many films where i'm just like okay there's some clear ways to look at it, some clear ways to not look at it you could say like this film is about communism and i'd be like yeah sure you know what that fits sure. you could probably spin that one way or another and that's yeah. the benefit of simple stories like this I, I will say I liked Vivarium, but I think this film does a better job. Oh, uh, much I, better. I, yeah. I, 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 I'm encapsulating this idea. I mean, Vivarium takes it in a very sci-fi kind of direction, in a very 
uh, contemporary sense. I don't, don't want to spoil that film for anyone that's interested in it, but it kind of takes this concept, puts it in suburbia, um, essentially. Which but... is also which is which is also quite interesting. I think that this film kind of is a little more apt in that sense. It, it, a little more. It feels like it well, lives up to its ideas a lot more. Vivarium had a bad habit of kind of like introducing interesting ideas, but kind of just moving on. Whereas this one is like, here's an interesting idea. And let's talk about it. Like, let's explore it. it. it fully realized. This is yeah. this is such a fully realized film. And I have to say about all, that about all these films off the bat. And you know, I'm not going to bury the lead too much. But I think all these films really accomplish what they set out for. And that is what I give them props for. But um, yeah, I don't know what else to add to this. Was I there any issues a, with it? I mean. I really think I have to watch it in to find like issues that I have. There were just maybe some moments that kind of flew under like flew under the radar for me, but I felt like a lot of the scenes that they all felt purposeful to me. Um, maybe it was a little long, but honestly, I didn't even feel the runtime when I watched it. Like I maybe I maybe uh, you know looked at the uh, header as I was watching. Like this is two and a half hours, shit. But then as I was watching it, I forgot that that's how long it was. Mm -hmm. It's uh kind of flew by for me kind of like everything everywhere all at once though for very different reasons yeah um well i'd agree with you up until the two hour mark because for some reason at that point i was just like huh is this movie still going because up until that point yeah it just kind of flew fair by. enough but yeah by yeah. then i was just I, kind yeah. of like really okay yeah, I, I guess the tension kind of dissipates a little bit at that point. It's like I think that's oh, what it is. Pregnant. Oh, she has to get uh, lifted up. It's kind of like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. To, and then he's just for like 15 minutes trying to decide whether or not he should leave. <laughs> and he he kind of goes back on that decision a little bit. I forget exactly what he says at the very end, but yeah, I feel man. like at that point it was like it, it. I get it, but this could have been like five minutes instead of half an hour, five or ten minutes. And then we'll you, you know what? I, I just saw, like, there's another listing of the time where it's, like, only two hours and five minutes. So mm. Did maybe we, watch maybe we got the longer cut? cut. Oh. I don't, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, but um, it's funny because I have a copy of this on DVD that I found uh, secondhand, and I picked up for four bucks. And I'm glad I didn't get any questions about it when I picked it up. Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I see a two-hour and three-minute runtime. But the the both versions that I had were longer than that. They were 127 minutes. Um, really? Mine was two and a half that, hours. Yeah, yeah. I think we both watched. Um, well, the the version that I have on DVD and the Criterion upload that I that I found. Yeah, that's um, what I watched. Both uh both are at that much longer runtime. So. Yeah, it's probably it's probably a good idea that we do research before we uh, start talking about this thing. Yeah, maybe. It all, all up in real time. Well, that's alright. Maybe, but. Makes a surprise for the audience too. What would you give? Then you wouldn't the get team? these hot, fresh takes ah, coming right, hot right coming hot right off the grill, hot, right off of our mental brain palates. Spicy, uh, <laughs> pretentious takes, and I'm giving this one. I was gonna give an eight, but you talked me into an eight point five, and the shorter cut nice. sounds like a nine point six. So it's a little dated. Uh, it's a little too long for my tastes, but it's still very powerful benefits and its simplicity is driven by two fantastic lead performances that shows what putting yourself out there in the movie really means to me and 
for that. I got yeah, no, I think I think that these people fully committed to the role. Absolutely. It was fully believable. It didn't feel like that they were acting. It felt like that these were they were just these people in this in this circumstance. And I thought they did a terrific job. And I think it's very it's a very a metaphor for what a lot of people go through in relationships. I'm gonna give it a solid nine. I really nice. like I really liked it. Nice. Well done. Uh, should I introduce Perfect Blue? Go for it. All right. So, Perfect Blue, the second appearance of Satoshi Kon on this channel. The first appearance being that we talked about one of his more underrated films, in my opinion, Tokyo Godfathers. At that point, that's the kind of mm -hmm. film that's so good that made me realize, man, like, I gotta watch more of this director's work. Like, what am I missing out yeah. on? What am I doing but, but, with my life? But before you go on, I had one point about the last director. I was just looking at his other filmography Go on it. Rotten Tomatoes. And all of his films have like a hundred percent critic rating. Not surprised. <laughs> Not surprised. And this movie is insanely well rated. Like I think it's one of the top like fifty films on Letterboxd, and it has yeah. a crazy high Metascore. Like, it, and I get it. Like, it's definitely cemented itself as a classic in my eyes. And maybe I'll grow another watches too. I feel like I need to see it again. And I feel like maybe I need to see this one again. Let's get into it. Perfect Blue. Hell yeah. Uh, so what's it about? Uh, it's a ripoff of Black Swan. An idiot would say. Uh, what it's actually about <laughs> is a, a pop no, singer. No, that, 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 that's what your Giga Chad Sigmund male uh, person would say. Yeah, ironically. That, that's what hipsters <laughs> would say. Uh, oh no, this mean white American director was ripping off the yeah. Japanese. Let's get into that later. Uh, the, the the inverse is rather true. Sorry, we have like just these obtrusive thoughts from meme culture. Mostly it's Steven posting dumb stuff. No. And then I'm, it just I'm not sorry. Its way into, the, into, the, into the film discussion. I mean, I'm not sorry. Uh, this is about no. a pop singer who gives up her career and becomes an actress. She was the ultimate pop star. I think her name is Rika. Yeah, Rika, who starts seeing... Um, she slowly goes insane. First off, she gets stalked by an obsessed fan that hacks into her account and makes her say things she didn't want to say. And is also being taunted, like her, by a ghost of her past. The real Rika, the pop star Rika. Interesting symbolism there. And there's tons of, you know, by the way the film's edited, you can't really tell what's real and what isn't. And the film's kind of edited in a way where you're going as insane as the character is throughout the story. It's, it's loaded with great animation. The music's great. The editing's some of the best I've seen in an animated movie. I gotta I admit, the, um, I, I don't know. Yeah. If, sorry, I, I was gonna say, um, what well, well, it's animation. I don't know if the term editing is what they use. I think it's the way it's constructed, perhaps, because you oh. storyboard and pre-plan everything, and kind of you're kind of editing before you even put it together. Well, I think in animation. Then, then let's so, say the yeah. sequencing between events. Sure, is, that, it's that works. Um, I'm, but, I'm sure, I'm sure uh, yeah. Drew will uh, correct us on this later. Exactly. <laughs> uh, please do, Drew, if you're listening, and please don't kill me because. I thought it was okay. I, I have to admit, like, Ooh. it did leave me with a lot to desire. And the funny thing is, one of the Dunes would have been better if it was shorter. This definitely would have been better if it was longer, in my opinion. Like, so many parts of it felt rushed through, and there's a lot of, like, really super convenient exposition, and it felt like the movie was holding my hand too much. There were times where characters just straight up say information that was already obvious to the audience. Like, we're getting the spoilers right away, but, I mean, it's Perfect Blue, who hasn't seen already, besides us. Quite, quite, a, just... yeah, quite a few people, although I know it uh, went through, uh, I, I remember 
digging up Chris Stockman review from 2013. Mm-hmm. And it just occurred to me that's how long this has been on my radar and I just haven't watched it yet. Yeah, it's kind Man. of been on mine for a while too. But there's a scene where Rika straight up says, uh, maybe the bus killed me and this is all a dream. And I'm just like, no, you shouldn't say that. That was already told to us visually. Like, you don't need to hold her hand like that. And I feel like the film did that just a little too often. And I don't know. Like, I, I appreciate it more than I actually enjoy it. It left me feeling a little bit cold. But I'm interested to hear what you think, Devin. I actually quite liked it. Um, all right. So... I had uh, studied uh, a lot of Darren Aronofsky when I was in school. I did a whole essay on his uh, filmography. Uh, and for that, I think I ended up watching Requiem for a Dream five times within a month, which I don't recommend to most people. Uh, <laughs> Why not? I don't think I would ever – I don't think eh. – it's one of those films that many people would cite as the films are only ever going to watch once because it's so emotionally devastating. But by the time you're – watching it five times and just analyzing shot by shot and trying to you know digging the subtext of meaning you just become kind of numb and desensitized to everything um but having seen this film i can say i think aaron owes like at least a third of his career to this film um, i least... wouldn't go that far i don't know yeah, maybe, maybe not but I, I i i do think it's really cool that he paid for the rights to adapt this yep not to make a live action adaptation verbatim but literally just to steal two shots that uh <laughs> they had in this yeah but that's um it. with uh the woman in the bathtub which i do think you know what if you're gonna do a blatant direct homage you should pay for it and i do think that he i respect him a little bit more for Absolutely. the fact that he did that and he, he he decided to do his own thing with it rather than just make a live that's action just yeah. adaptation because we're just oversaturated with that these days that said going back to this film uh there's a lot of things that i've noticed that he definitely lists from and i do think that they explored really well i love this idea of a pop singer um kind of being the main focus she decides she doesn't want to be a pop singer anymore i don't know if it's quite her decision or one of her agents kind of influencing her uh which we'll get into mix both definitely mix both but she wants to she wants to pursue acting she wants to be taken seriously as an actress uh, which I would think normally your tactic as a celebrity, you would kind of cross, uh, you kind of crossfade those elements a little bit. Like you would still continue singing, but then getting quietly getting into acting gigs on the side. Like I think that's something a lot of actors uh, would do. I don't know I mean, if they would that's quit singing right away and, then, yeah. and jump into things. But what I love seeing is that she's kind of haunted by her old pop singer persona who keeps saying, she's making a mistake going into acting and then you know that kind of pushes her to do more extreme stuff in acting which leads to the uh the grape scene or the simulated grape scene oh rather. man that's the, the, this is the thing yeah, yeah this is the thing that i think a lot of people on the onset would be uh, worried about about these films that there's grape in all of them um there is like attempted in the one simulated in this one uh we'll get to the third one soon but they do something very interesting with it here where they actually show um, basically she's acting out a scene that's very intense and the fact that they show how the camera would reset like saying you know like they're getting into it cut and then they got a reset and the guy has to change the position and he's like apologizing to her because this is a very you know emotionally distressing kind of scene it just shows like kind of the absurdity of filmmaking and I love that yep. they explore that in an animation um, mm-hmm. but also kind of the emotional 
uh, physical mental turmoil that can have on you, even if it's just pretend, you know, you're still going through those emotions, even in, in, in a simulated sense. Um, and that still, you know, wreaks a lot of havoc on you mentally sometimes if you're not uh, cut out for it or if it's, you know, I, I think anybody uh, naturally would go through those kind of uh, things as she does in this. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I was alluding to earlier. Where it's like, it, it, this film reminded me that I never want a film sex scene. It feels like you know I'm all for like oh you know you know don't be an SJW and all that. But no, seriously, filming a sex scene looks like the worst thing ever. You're pu- forcing yeah. these actors you, to you, go for this emotional turmoil, and then like you have to cut and change frames and get actors to stay in that position and mindset for long periods of time, and you probably have to do this over the course of several days. No. I, I'm never That's doing not... sexy if I'm making movies. Fuck that. You, 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 you're never going to do it again, you mean? I Listen, I wasn't filming that. I was recording audio for that. That's a different oh, story okay, right. that you can listen to on another episode of First Days with Maury. I'm not Boom getting operator. into that right now. Uh, you're yeah. not going to get into that right now. But needless to say, uh, you, have ex- you have some experience with that. And yeah, it's not as uh, fun as, as people make it seem. No. <laughs> Absolutely Suffice not. To say. I, I think the biggest issue is that, yes, there's a lot of intre- beautiful imagery, and yes, I love the ideas that are presented. Like, I love the idea of, like, a fragmented, you know, celebrity personality being stuck between the old and the new, but I feel like the execution of it was kind of sloppy. Like, I find it funny how the live-action Black Swan has more visual storytelling than the animated... <laughs> original arguably original movie like i feel like there's uh, it, a it, lot of times you where know, characters just kind of say what's happening and i'm just like no like just hold back a little bit more i want to interpret this for myself but the film when, when did uh when did black touches. swan come out 2012 or uh, before 2010 2010 2010 okay so this came out in like 97 yes it did so there was uh you know quite a bit of gap between there and you know darren obviously That's obviously true paid for the rights of this so i think he'd been thinking about ways to improve upon it or at least mm-hmm. uh use that type of language in his own style um where you know this is an originator uh, of this i haven't looked into satoshi Khan work prior to this um but i have seen tokyo godfathers and uh, i know paprika exists and it's an amazing film from what i've heard and going back to this and seeing it i was really impressed though i have seen people say that this is um, maybe their least favorite Satoshi Khan, which is saying much because they still thought it was brilliant. Um, actually, what, shout Tokyo out to Gough Johnny. Fires? No, um, I, the, the, well, uh, this film is was the least favorite of my friend Johnny Clyde, oh, who's a filmmaker. I was gonna say, like everyone else, say it says it's like his best work ever. So it's nice hot take, well, this, Johnny. No, no, yeah, yeah. Sh- shout out to Johnny because I uh, kind of stole his letterbox review, but I think I like the perspective <laughs> for it. Is that um, he says this is his least favorite Satoshi Khan work, but that's saying much because he still thought it was brilliant. Fair enough, fair enough. And um, I, I think another thing about Black Swan, and I'm so sick of making these comparisons, but you brought it up, so deal with it, Devin. Uh, I think <laughs> the main thing is in Black Swan. I found myself caring about the character because I think what made it work was that it was just about that character. Like, I think almost every shot in that movie, unless I'm mistaken, is focused on her. So you really connect with her journey and learn, like, why she's doing this and why she's getting into this. I don't really care about Rika all that much. And I think in a psychological thriller, 
empathy is so important and connection is so important to like feel the visceral nature of what the character is going through psychologically and physically but i just didn't care about rika all that much and yeah there's subtle clues about what she went through in the past but there's so many moments where i'm it i'm just thinking like i don't know like why does she want to branch out and take a new career? Like why? It's like I I I cared for her, but I don't know if how much I related to her. That's, That's just I, it. I would, put yeah. the, I, 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 I would put the I would distinguish that. Like I did care for what she was. It, going it's through. like she I feel bad for you, but I don't really empathize what you're going through. If that makes sense. Well, I I, I do think that there is something to that though. I do think um, you know, watching films like this kind of bridges that gap a little bit, or at least gives the opportunity to. There there are ways it could have maybe told the story better to make it relatable to more people. But at the same time, I do think that this is a very real thing that some people, you know, go through. Even though it kind of steps in a little bit into the surreal and absurd, where she's literally throwing herself down staircases. Yeah, and, and chasing such. after a girl that just repeats <laughs> the message of the movie. <laughs> but uh, but um, yeah, go on. I I I do like the uh, the imagery and the uh, and oh the yeah. ambition of this film. Like this, mm -hmm. it's definitely rough around the edges in places. A little bit. But um, but... I do think that this is a uh, pretty good blueprint, a nearly perfect blueprint. Hey. Uh, for the, uh, the the stuff that Satoshi Khan would kind of go on to do, perhaps. I yeah, think, uh, it's got great... He, 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 he definitely yeah. refined his craft a lot more when it came to uh, Tokyo Godfathers, and that was a much more subtle story, a lot more human and grounded, Yeah. although there was a little bit of natural realism to it, if I recall. A little um, bit, but it it was mostly grounded for the yeah. most part. But I think it's the but, fact but I, that... I, I, also, I also like how he kind of counterbalances, like, he, there is that subjective... Uh, you know, reality that she's going through, uh, which is very ter uh, terrifying. But then I, I love these little offhand comments from the fans saying, oh, yeah, that made sense that she'd be going to acting. It's like like these like fan speculations about what the celebrity lives are like and kind of contrasting it. And then that's also where you bring in the, uh, the stalker character, who I think started off being like a security guard for her. Then he ends up being this really obsessive like fan uh, who's writing this like fake diary entries for her. And I like that in his mind, he's like really involved in his life. And I like that they show that because I feel like a lot of otaku people, a lot of people get really obsessed about certain celebrities. It reminded me uh, very much of the Bjork stalker, if you remember that guy. Yep. Uh, that's a really uh, terrifying story if you haven't looked into it. um, He basically uh, tried to send a, uh, I think, an acid bomb in the mail to her. Because uh, really? she got into a relationship with some guy, and in his mind, because he was so obsessive with her, that was like a betrayal of sorts. Like, he was so mentally involved with her in his own head that he uh, felt like he should, uh, you know, harm her, uh, basically. And he ended up killing himself. Uh, really tragic story. Um, really, it's a story. But, um, yeah. it, but, but j j just that look into this character, we don't know much about him. But we see that we, we see kind of this like ghostly presence of her in his bedroom and it's like in his mind there's like a relationship between them when she doesn't know the guy at all she's just like who's this guy that she's using her me? he's using her voice which i thought was like a really clever touch when he's typing up her messages uh i want to talk about the stalker for a second so what i thought they were going to do originally was he was going to be a red herring so like he would seem like the obvious stalker and then it would be like, no, he wasn't the stalker. Like, somebody else was, like, her agent or somebody along those lines. Like, it would be kind of a plot twist. That would have been dumb, but that's kind of what I expected to happen. Then I realized, wow. oh, he's just a rapey stalker. Like, it, it, he's just that. Like, it, 
yes, people like that exist. Yes, pe I'm not saying people like that don't exist, but it's so one-dimensional. Like, I, I was expecting a little bit more out of his character, I guess. But he's kind of just there to make the film more creepy and more action-packed and tasteless. You're like, maybe maybe he wasn't as thought like like thought through or realized as he could have been. Yeah. But I do, I, I I do like that little glimpse into his life where we're getting just that little bit of... Okay, I understand what his motivation is. He has a, he created a relationship with her in his head, which you could probably guess from the outset. But it just like it validates a little more just seeing it. Um, but in terms of like the stalker being a red herring, yeah, it's not the case here. Maybe the case in the next film. I don't well, want to spoil it. I, I feel then. like they could have done something more interesting with that though. Like I think of, I'm gonna suck mm -hmm. off greener grass again as an example. Like, there's a stalker in that movie, like uh, Fat Margie, who <laughs> everyone kind of sees as a weirdo. She's right. kind of, like, filmed like a horror movie villain of sorts. But by the end, it's like, no, she isn't a stalker. The only reason she's been watching her is because she wants to be like her in order to fit in with this society. And that was more interesting to me. Like, that was, like, an interesting twist on the whole stalker trope. It took that stalker trope and did something at least relatively interesting and unique with it. And I was kind of hoping this film was kind of going for that, but it doesn't really. And it, there's, and that's kind of how I felt about the film throughout. It's like, it's a gorgeously, wondrously presented movie that I just wish went just a little bit further with its ideas and kind of respecting the audience's intelligence a little bit more. But I was well, always just kind of watching it. I didn't feel. I I, th I think you also do have to consider the time that this came out. I, mean, I... this was the nineties. I, I mean, being Cronenberg for, films came out in the 80s, <laughs> you know, and I'd argue th they go for This is true, but I, I, I think also looking at the medium is important. Like, anime didn't explore these kind of topics that deeply yet. Uh, arguably, until right. Evangelion, that really blew up in the wall. And this came out two years later after that show aired. So I think because of that, like, a lot of people have said that, you know, you can if you can draw a fine line between... Uh, in, in anime history, it's right where Nevin Yelling came out. I guess, uh, anime yeah, before enough. and anime afterwards. So I think, you know, anime or this style of uh, animation exploring these type of themes is still relatively in its infancy, perhaps, at this point. And I admire the ambition and the tenacity in which it executes it. It's definitely rough around the edges in places, but oh, I sure. had a blast watching it. Yeah, um, like, it's not boring. I'll give you that. Like, the film definitely flies by. <laughs> And it's extremely well paced. Like, I was never bored watching it. It's only about mm -hmm. 80 minutes long. And like I said, I feel like it could have been longer, maybe fleshed out its ideas more. Yeah. And maybe that, that, that's, the, that, that's the one thing I love about these latter two films is that they're both just like an hour and 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And Straight they can both yeah. fit neatly into the runtime of the other one. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> it kind of blends the films together. What, which film is which again? Oh, I guess that's the live action film and that's the anime. Uh, so, oh, yeah. something else I wanted to mention is like it just—it's a tiny little nitpick, but it kind of bugged me a little bit. Is did you notice like there was free like audience members, uh, like free fans throughout the movie whose sole purpose was? Did you know that she became the number one star in a matter of weeks? Did you know that <laughs> the eight? You know, the agent died in a brutal murder. Did you know that? Wow. Like, there's so. I know. I know. Like that drove me insane. I hate it when films do that when exposition. they just have their you know, the convenient uh, background triplets exposition. just like giving I mean, exposition dumps. So it's, 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 like, it's a necessary evil, I think. Well, I, I don't know. They, they could have conveyed the information so, about him. 
don't there's, know if I agree with yeah, that. The, the, there's more subtle ways of doing it, but to make it come across and sound like natural dialogue is a bit tricky, for sure. Yeah, and um, they didn't. But I feel like the information been, was... It could have been better, but it, it, it didn't stick out and irritate me as much as you. Uh, there well, are my problem with it was... Do, but in, in yeah. this case, it, it didn't jump out at me too much. Well, my problem is it's the information that was already obvious. Like... The manager, like, it's also information we don't necessarily need to know. Like, the montage of her getting pictures and getting on magazines. I don't need a guy to be like, wow, she became famous in three weeks. It's like, yeah, okay, I could get that information by watching the film. Thank you. I don't <laughs> need these random teenagers telling me what the plot is. Thank you. And the film kept doing that. Like, it, it's not sure. just a one-time thing. It kept doing that, and it just kind of drove my patience after a while. And it, it's... I kind of wanted the film to use the strength of its format more because it is yeah it, like you said the animation is a little rough around the edges but i think like the quote-unquote cinematography is great like it's a great storyboard there's great like camera angles and movements the editing is great i love how it even from the get-go it kind of ties her celebrity life with her normal life with her new acting career and it blurs all of that together that was incredibly effective like i can't imagine what it must have been like the storyboard of film like this in the first place like incredible filmmaking all across the board i just i just wish i could connect with it more fair enough i mean i still really enjoyed it i i felt like i had that in um of appreciation for you know darren aronofsky's work that seeing this it's like the perfect blueprint for his early stuff i'll say um which is a pun I'm not going to get over yet. Um, but no, I, th I do think uh, when you see uh, Wrecking for a Dream specifically, you definitely see a lot of the influences and also very much uh, Black Swan. Um, but that said, he's definitely grown into his own, and Satoshi Khan is definitely developing his own style at this point. Um, and I think uh, it's really cool to see kind of where that came from, and it helps me appreciate where it goes uh, later on with uh, Tokyo Godfathers and such. I still have to see Papitra. The girl who at the time, I'm just looking up uh, these other films that he. Uh, well, I definitely on. need to watch more of his films for sure. Yeah, but um, I still really appreciated this one. This was has been on my list for a long time. Um, it wasn't quite the film maybe that I was expecting, but I still uh, found myself enjoying it. It was a really interesting exploration into you know celebrity and the kind of uh, the sort of bipolar kind of psychologies sometimes you go through when you're going through an identity crisis and you're trying to you know reconcile what your career was and what's going to be and uh, make sense of it. So uh, I, I still think that this is like a pretty. I, I give it an eight. Maybe nice. a bit high praise for you, but uh, I, I still enjoyed it. That's fair. Uh, before we close off, let's talk about the ending. Now, okay. what was the ending like for you? Because it may have been a, a result of a different theatrical like cut for me or something. What was the ending like for you? I, I don't know. So the ending, uh, the, the one that I saw, um, I guess it turns out that uh, her one manager was messing with her the whole time. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure what that means. I remember I was like a bit I was kinda of like half asleep at that point too and I had to like rewind to try yeah. to figure out exactly what happened, but like this uh this ghostly pre premonition of herself dressing up as the pop star idol turns out to be her manager, which really confused me. Okay. Uh, so that was the ending <laughs> I got and I thought what that ending felt like to me 
was you know how the ending of Psycho they forced them forced Alfred Hitchcock to rewrite it so they have a psychiatrist come in and conveniently explain the plot and make the Mm -hmm. end on like a happier note that's what this ending felt like to me it felt like okay this wasn't the planned ending this was just oh we need (laughs) producers came in and said this film is too confusing we need somebody to come in and explain like what just happened to the audience and that shot of her going in her car and being like I know it's me and winking to the camera like I I'm gonna be honest I laughed like I thought that was unintentionally hilarious like what was that and I know yeah, tons I, of people have been saying oh it's not real it didn't really happen she died earlier but I don't know if there was enough of a clear indication for that because I think of something like the piano where like it, it spoiler alert for that movie but that leaves it up to the air where either or not the main character makes it out alive but she mentions a specific line where it's like you know i still think about that day where i was strapped to the piano at the bottom of the ocean and that's kind of there to make the audience be like oh maybe it was like that like it adds some tension and there isn't anything like that to this film's ending beyond the fact that it's just a bad ending so it must not be real (laughs) yeah i mean i'm still processing that again i watched it when i was half asleep it's definitely left an impression but it also felt like maybe yeah i could speculate that maybe it felt tacked on like there was some compromise there to try to give more of a clear-cut ending because maybe he wanted something more dark or more ambiguous or you know just different than what we saw um because it definitely it definitely wasn't what i was expecting and i don't know if it quite makes sense it does leave some room for interpretation i suppose but um it felt a bit weird, and and then with, with with the end credit music as well, just being as jovial as it is, <laughs> felt like such a disconnect from the rest of the film. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that that can either work really well as like a as like a counterpoint, like every Evangelion episode um, would end with like a recap or like a preview of the next episode. Congratulations! Very upbeat. It would have this really upbeat, jovial music in complete stark contrast to the dark uh, thi- things that just happened, um, which it kind of has that effect. But I, it, it also may have just been thrown in here to uh, to make it a little more upbeat and jovial when uh, maybe, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what the story was behind it. It just yeah, felt odd. Maybe it was <laughs> intended to be fi- like, oh, is it real or is it not? But maybe if I connected more with the story, I could give it that pass, but I didn't as much as i wanted to i'm gonna give this one a very 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 reluctant 6.9 out of 10 and nice. i it's a beautifully <laughs> presented movie uh, from filmmaking perspective it's perfect the voice acting is great there's some memorable scenes but uh, the film was just holding you know me what? back I, at every I, turn i, I feel like i was I gonna overpraise it a little bit like i, I kind of preemptively just gave it an eight there but I think you talked me down to a very enthusiastic 6.9. <laughs> uh, no, you can stick with your 8 if you want to. Like, you don't have to adapt well, to my ratings. It, no, no, it's not a perfect film. It's got some weird things, but I, I still enjoyed it. So 6.9 and above is good for me. Okay. Um, but, enough. you know, it's, it, despite its issues, I still had a good time. Yeah, fair so enough. A, so, so, and there has to be 6.9 in every episode. Yeah, of course. there should be a beauty of <laughs> compilation for this movie because, damn. Uh, oh yeah. Speaking of, damn, what just happened? Uh, <laughs> Snake of June. Yeah. Do you want to introduce this one, Devin? I I feel like you should. I feel like I have to explain myself maybe a little bit. Well, I I kind of did earlier. So I I came across this film, uh, solely because 
I had seen Tetsuo the Iron Man, and I was so impressed with that film. Um, and it's like, you know, DIY, kind of low-budget, um, you know, guerrilla filmmaking, and exploring these, like, really dark kind of psychosexual topics that I have to see the rest of this guy's work. I remember looking, uh, trying to find Tetsuo on DVD, and the listing that I found on Amazon was a used copy for $146, which I wasn't going to pay what? for. It. So, <laughs> yeah, so needless to say, people really covet that original DVD pressing. Uh, man, I just got some acid with that burp. I don't know if you heard that. But, oh, uh, I did. Glad it, it seems very fitting, but uh, <laughs> now I just called myself out. Um, I actually ended up just finding uh, his whole collection for a lot less money. It was like 60 bucks for all the Blu-rays from Arrow Video. And I'm like, damn, I'm going to find that. But then I also found um, A Snake of June for 14 bucks. And hey. I'm like, I know there's another film that he made, and this is another one that I, I've heard. I think it was some Fandor video or some video essay just talking about the man's career, saying how A Snake of June is like another you know, totem pole in his career of him going more instead of just from the body horror realm into more of the psychosexual realm. And I'm like, that sounds interesting. Nice. Uh, I'm going to look at that. And I was rather impressed with it, I will say, um, off the bat. Um, I thought – so I would liken this guy's work to David Cronenberg because that's a director yep. I'm very familiar with, a Canadian, um, who also went from body horror to more psychological-type um, films throughout his career. He, he always had an interest in, an interest in the psychology and kind of looking at metaphors through the body. But um, – Shinya has his own kind of angle with it, of course, um, and I think he, but it, it, it's in the same realm. But he he has his own ideas with it, and what really struck me about this film when I saw it, um, not only how short it is, um, actually th this was a joke I just remembered I was going to do. Oh, when I thought that uh, Snake of June came out before Perfect Blue, um, that we were going to go from the driest film I'd ever seen to one of the wettest films I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> going from yeah. I, I, I think I think that bookends this whole trilogy, and okay. if you look at my poster, I went from sands to water. Uh, shout out to my uh, sister for helping me kind of throw that uh, band, that background image together because I thought that, that that was an idea I wanted to do. But okay. no, like this film is – I remember writing on Letterboxd that if this film were any wetter, I'd need a snorkel to watch it. <laughs> uh, not only because it takes place in, uh, in the rainy season of Japan, but a uh, very apt metaphor for women's arousal. Uh, which is something that they really, <laughs> really lean into in, in, into this. But um, where am I even going with this? I'm just all over the place. Good question. Uh, this is, a, yes. No, I said good question. Oh, good question. I thought you were going to interrupt me with a question. Nope. <laughs> I know I do that. Okay, a lot, so 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 this film, if I describe the premise for you to you. It'll it'll sound like the most you know what the fuck kind of morally reprehensible plot ever, but the really hello, oh no, not again. Sorry, guys, he cut out for a bit. Hopefully, we can get him back. Yo, yo, check. One, two, check. Three. What happened there? 
Hey. Oh, I think my cable just pulled that slightly. Ah, okay. But, um, if I describe the plot to you, it'll sound like the most morally reprehensible plot ever. But the really twisted part is that it comes out uh, in a wholesome way, I find. Like the, the I find the balance is really perspective. And I would say that this film plays more like a surrealist video essay on the topic of sexuality than, you know, an exploitative film. Um, and I remember hearing a story from the actress Asuka Kurosawa, which is a really cool name because it's a amalgam of two, you know, other names that I like. Um, <laughs> saying that she was very enthusiastic about the part. She didn't want anybody else to do this part, and this was like her That's first fine. foray into acting, and she felt really connected with this character. So, you know, shout out to her. Um, this plot is about a suicide uh, hotline counselor. Um, who saves you know a bunch of people's lives by talking them out of you know killing themselves uh and one of the one of the men that she helps uh ends up stalking her which is you know as anyone does to show appreciation for yeah no um that's <laughs> where i think the if you if you just read this film on a very literal level uh that's is where you know where it becomes very illegal and morally depraved and all this of course but i would read this more metaphorically like this isn't an actual person that maybe is stalking her. This is more like, well, I'll, I'll tell you why he's uh, stalking her. Is that he finds that she seems to be rather unfulfilled in her life somehow. Um, he finds out that she has like an unhappy marriage, um, and he kind of uses these photos of her kind of exploring herself in her own private time. Like she's trying to dress, she's dressing up in these like kinkier kind of clothes, and he sees this as, oh, she's not expressing herself uh, to the world like uh, sexually or something. Um, and somehow he knows this very intimate thing about her. And then he calls her up and calls her out on it and um, tells her to do things in public that would be embarrassing uh, because he says, I don't want sex from you. I just want you to do what you want, like be happy, which I don't think anybody on the outside can really know that level of intimate detail about you unless it's coming from you, which is why I think this reads more of a metaphor for this like itch that you have, maybe that, I'm not living my full life. I am in a relationship with a person that's indifferent to my needs, and I have these unfulfilled needs somehow. So I feel like that you could read the film metaphorically in that sense, and that's how I look at this film. Uh, that said, though, there's definitely a lot of crazy, fucked-up things that happen in this. Uh, so I'm curious, Ian, how did you find this film, and am I crazy for liking it? <laughs> I found this film on YouTube, as per your upload uh Devin, what the fuck what the fuck what did, what did i watch like he folks i watched crimes of the future last week by david cronenberg that we both that, did we both did you yeah you were gonna go there without me and i wasn't gonna have it you're, you're exactly. not saying crimes of the future without me buddy <laughs> a film that literally <laughs> inspired walkouts at can film festival can film festival this film festival that loves cronenberg with all of their heart couldn't bear that movie and that was the least disturbing film I watched this month because I watched the Snake June. I, wow, really? You were that I upset by it? I still need to comprehend it. I think I liked it. I don't know if I did. This might be the first time where I don't give a film a score on the podcast because I still need wow, to do really? it over. I mean, first off, I also watched it like uh, a few couple days ago, and it kind of just flew by for you know obvious reasons, and it. <sighs> I'm still trying to find the words. I think I liked it. The big issue I have with it, if anything, is 
I mentioned Woman in the Dunes. You can enjoy that film on any level. A metaphorical level, a literal level, or a romantic level. Anyway, you can enjoy it. I feel like this film could only be enjoyed as a metaphorical film. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But that also means I didn't quite connect with it as much as I wanted it to. But it also is weirdly well done. But it also made me upset. <laughs> and made me question what I was watching. I This film was a whirlwind of emotions. I, I will definitely give it that. It, it made me feel things. I'm not sure I like those feelings yet or not. <laughs> Oh man, it's it's like an all new experience that we're just diving into here. Yeah, I'm gonna have to really pull my weight on this one. Oh, oh no, I so, no, I will do my best, man. I'm sorry, I will do my best. Okay, no, no worries. I I think, hmm, well, we'll have to approach this carefully then. So, no, I I mean, approach it however you want, and I will attempt to adapt as I usual usually do. Well, I was doing a bit of research into this a little bit uh, as I do. I I wanted to make time to do more, but I didn't get time for it, unfortunately. Um. Apparently, the director has had the idea for this film for like 20 years before he even attempted it. Oh. Just something about the rainy season of uh, Japan uh, inspired him, gave him that itch, as he uh, puts it. And I also admire the fact that he plays the stalker himself. Uh, yeah. Which, I don't know, it, it shows a little bit of ownership to to, to it, I guess. And I, I, just, yeah. I just remember watching the behind-the-scenes clip and bursting out laughing like, wow, that was you. Incredible. Um, I, but again, I don't yeah. see him as like an actual person character in this. I see him as like this sort of weird manifestation of these unmet needs that she has, or something like this. This person that seems to know something so intimately about her, um, and also the you know if you if you read the premise on IMDb, I feel like it's a little bit uh, it does a bit of a disservice because it sounds like the whole film is just that. We're really, yeah, really that's it's just the yeah. half of the film. I think the tables turn pretty hard uh, in the second half. I think the tables start to turn back on him. Mm-hmm. He starts to show like his weaker sides, how he's like dying of cancer and he's this kind of pathetic person, and he starts to take a little more ownership of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, the husband starts to clue into what's going on. Uh, there's a very weird scene uh, interaction between him and the stalker that. I'm not even sure I've wrapped my head around yet. Uh, but I will say that is something that he also explores in uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man. This, uh, I don't even know what to call it. This like appendage uh, <laughs> dildo thing. I don't even know what it is. It's, 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 it's a weird thing that he, yeah. you know, it, it, you, you go to Japan, tentacles come up at some point. This is kind of like an animatronic version of that. Um, <laughs> and it, this guy's just like wrapping it around his neck and like kicking him around. And it's like he, he's just like punishing him for being indifferent to his wife's needs or something. Um, I'm not even sure where to go with that. This is just an insane movie. But I do think that it, there is something being said here about relationships and about, yeah. you know, the, the, the indifference and the disconnect that can happen. And just, you know, what kind of things happen when people just have unmet needs? Because I think like one important thing to keep in mind that I actually heard in a ted talk recently i forget who said it but um it's like you know you're not a person who is you know necessarily like it's it's not that you're wrong for being depressed or you're wrong for this you're just a person you're just a human being with unmet needs and i think that that's a very important thing to keep in mind and i feel like you know the way these things manifest is just when that occurs and that's why i feel like there is a lot of heart to this film there is like a wholesome core yeah but a very uh you know 
lurid exploration still of all these kind of things and there were sequences in this film that reminded me of guy madden films with just how yeah, bizarre and surreal they I are kind of felt like my win it like my winnebate that that whole sequence of the the soccer torturing the husband and uh, it's like he and all these other people have these like cones on their faces and they're just have these like and they're looking into yeah. like their spouses drowning in water or something um what do you think the cones symbolize I have no idea. Well, it just I th- I think it, tunnel vision. I think is very yeah, narrow minded. Uh, was kind of how I took it. Just, 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 yeah. Just, well, yeah, like being narrow minded, just developing tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. You're just kind of focused on day to day life, and you're not looking outside of yourself, and you're not um, seeing these uh, things that other people are going through. It also uh, that tank that they are in with the that, that that's kind of circular. That reminded me of altered states as well in a weird sense but yeah that, that that whole sequence with like the handheld camera that just keeps crash zooming and then these intense music that keeps revving up that's very like absurdist guy madden energy and i fucking love it uh <laughs> yeah but thankfully this isn't shot with 10 different cameras and 10 different film stocks and doesn't give me a headache. no like, like luckily they, 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 they keep it all in black and white i think this was shot in like black a and blue or... sir like well, yeah, it was sh- well, it was shot in black and white, but then they put it onto color film and gave it that blue tinge, mm-hmm. which I thought was which... a really effective choice. Like it, it I, I thought it was awesome. I, it it gives well. this film a unique kind of identity, unique look. It's like a cyanotype yeah. uh, kind of type image. That's what it reminds me of. Mm-hmm. Um, looks so gorgeous. this definitely stands out. It's it's yeah. a perfect you know um, parallel contrast to the other two films, uh, which is why I thought this all thematically tied together. That you know you have a black and white woman the dunes. You have the movie Perfect Blue, and then you have this film that's all black and blue, or white and blue, depending how you look at it. Exactly. Uh, it, it, it's and a black and white color. Yeah. Say again? It's a black and blue It just seems like such a perfect thematic connection between these three. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. It is, yeah, gorgeously shot, which is my favorite part about it. It adds so much to the atmosphere and, you know, arguably even covers up, like, any potential, you know, bad-looking practical effects or bad-looking extras. Like it does a good job of like masking that as well, so it has a practical purpose to it too. Like I think the acting is like really compelling between the two leads, and I have my qualms about uh, the director casting himself as a stalker. You know, same qualms as you know Roman Polanski well, writing it, it, characters if, that if, are pedophiles. If he was, if he was <laughs> hiring someone else to do it, do you think that would be much better, or I don't know? I think it would be a little better. I think it would be a well, lot better. I, I in, he, yeah. in, in an interview, he said that he knew that that's the character he was going to play when he first thought of the idea. I'm sure he, he did. On it. <laughs> he sat. Well, no, I think I think what makes this like, I think the fact that he sat on it for 20 years meant he really got to think about it more thematically and made it, you know, probably as good as it can be without it, you know, just being just juvenile delinquent you know depravity right. i think that it's there's a not, lot of adult yeah i think there's a lot of adult mature observations happening here I guess, just in yeah. a very surrealist sense like it feels like a very mature take on relationships but you know done in this really bizarre kind of way mm-hmm. um uh, it it's not so much that he cast himself in the role of a stalker as he cast himself in world war he gets to have sex with this beautiful woman multiple times it gets to write himself as a pathetic misunderstood character yeah yes he does he wrote him yeah like he's been thinking about this film for 20 years he's been thinking about the fact that he has to make love to this gorgeous woman for 20 years like yeah obviously like that was on his mind and 
I kind of feel like that may have influenced it a little bit. I'm not going to point fingers. I'm not going to no, judge. He, he, but... he, he was saying, but like like his character, he says, I don't want sex. I want you to be happy. But like, I, they, I mean, know, they end like up the... having sex anyways. No, they don't. Wait, they? what? I don't think so. No, no, it's 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 she and the husband end up coming back together. The right. stalker never it's touches the her. It's the husband. It's the husband. I'm sorry. I'm still mulling yeah. over this film. I apologize. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is my second time watching it. I still misremember things, so I'm here to correct the record. No, the stalker and her never meet in person. They never touch or interact. If anything, the stalker brings her and her husband closer together, which is the really fucked up thing. <laughs> it's like. Yeah, that's why that's why I read it as like a metaphor for like he's sort of this like this like lethal I, kind of premonition. I'm gonna like, be honest. I completely forgot the husband came back. <laughs> like that. No, like the, head, the, the husband comes back. Yeah. He sees. Uh, the, so, so the closest they ever meet, and this is like the the, the main scene that shows in the promotional videos that he ends up taking pictures of her out in like the streets uh, while it's like pouring rain which i couldn't imagine had, had been very fun to shoot like nope. that's like a good, that's like a good way to get pneumonia um but it's like the camera shooting out those flashes and then them just having those like orgasmic kind of waves and then after his flash bulb is all dead he picks up the tiny camera it's like he's going in for seconds <laughs> <laughs> that's the closest Symbolism. to like a check that they have <laughs> okay no that that, 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 that that's how i took it but I like all those pictures that he took man. he ends up giving to the husband and they end up using to you know re recuperate so does the stalker yeah not get naked at some point no I'm he doesn't trying... okay no, he wow doesn't. oh he... i am wow okay he's, i'm he, sorry he, he, he's very he's very hands-off I but am not I can see, I can see how in your mind you're like thinking that this happened because this film plays with your imagination a lot. Oh, for sure, and it's it, very it, creative. I'll give it that. Like, there's I, a lot I, of I also, I also, I also like those like insert cards where there's like different chapters to the film where it shows, like, it shows like the symbolism for a symbol for a woman in the first half and it's her perspective, and it shows the symbol for a man and it shows his perspective, uh, going forward and how he's been kind of avoiding coming home. Um, and you know, he is just trying to keep everything kind of neat and tidy and he's just kind of is in his own lane. He's indifferent to her needs. And I like how they explore those different sides. And then it shows like this hybrid of the two at the end, which is them kind of coming together, I guess. Um, again, very lurid thought, very bizarre stuff, but it has a happy ending because, you know, a husband and wife realize they love each other very much. After getting asphyxiated by a metal metal rod and painted in black, and yeah, there's like clear allusions to like dominatrix imagery. There's clear allusions to you, you know like uh, <laughs> sexual desire well, and kind of exploring what you really want. And you kind and, of and this was something that really that, got me. Yeah. This is something that really got me even in Tetsuo the Army. Like I saw this type of idea happened even in that film i'm gonna spoil one minor scene but go for it uh after the main character gets infected with a metal piece and turns into this like grotesque monster thing that starts growing under control the girlfriend is like i want to see like a like i want to you know accept you for what you are like i won't you know stream or run away which i'm like damn this is horrific but also goals also you know, sweet like, <laughs> also pretty sweet yeah maybe it's, no no it's it, it, it's it's like a bittersweet little moment because she's like yeah. she's willing to accept for sure. him for what he is even though he's turning to this grotesque monster that ends up drilling out her insides uh yeah quite literally <laughs> not, not very 
not very subtle at all in that film. But <laughs> no. I think that this film yeah. is a little more subtle with its exploration. It's very there's similar ideas happening here. Yeah. Um, I think the big problem he, is like I just can't explore enjoy it beyond a metaphorical level, beyond a filmmaking level. Like I, it, it's well done. There's a lot of interesting ideas if you look at it in a different way. But I kind of wish I could have enjoyed it just by watching it. I guess it's kind of my big complaint about it. It was just a little much for you, would you say? Yeah, I, I think so. Like, it's Fair enough. could have held back just, like, a little bit more. Like, I think Crimes of the Future handled it a little bit better as an example. Like, obviously, it's much later sure. and had a bunch of I, I, I felt quite unnerved by that film, I'll be honest. I was squirming a lot watching that Yeah, film. but uh, I think I, it's the way it unnerves you is maybe a little more tasteful. Like, it's, it, it's how he shoots it and how the characters respond to it that's more disturbing than anything. It's the idea I, I that, that this like, was rather tasteful too, though. Like this, this felt yeah, like kind of like a, a noir. This, this felt like a like a, like a classic noir in a sense, but done in this, uh, you know, this uh, more Weird. hyper surrealist way. Yeah. With um, I, I, I don't know. Like I feel like it tries a little too hard at parts, and not necessarily in a bad way, not necessarily in a tasteless way, but I think what made like Cronenberg's best work more effective is he's taking these things that we normally consider normal and kind of showing how strange and obtuse it is when we look at it in a different way. And I guess that yeah. has more of an effect on me than this film. But I clearly need to watch it again because apparently I barely remember fucking anything about that. Now, about it. Sorry, guys. You know, I, I think it's better on a second watch in all honesty. I'll keep that in um, mind. Like, I, 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 yeah. I was really enthralled by the first watch, but watching a second watch, there's a lot of things you pick up on. There's a lot of packed in here. And I love... That all this is under uh, uh, an hour and twenty minutes. Yet there's so much Agreed. symbolism and layered storytelling, and but told in such a brisk pace. Like this is a very brutal film. Like he's been making films for a while, but he's still doing it very DIY. Like it's all nice. handheld camera for the most part. There's uh, there was a behind the scenes image of him straddling this like Ariflex camera while in a wheelchair, which <laughs> is very much. <laughs> Exactly like how Godard would shoot films back uh, yeah. in France during the French New Wave. I I think you could probably compare a lot of this to Godard as well, but I think he's a little less up his own ass as Godard. Yes, like agreed. I think I I, I I think that he uh, makes land a little more like like Godard definitely feels like a uh, a very stuffy uh, film essayist trying to put his ideas onto celluloid, where this feels like a filmmaker trying to write an essay with a camera. Yeah, like, this director has something to say. Like, Godard felt like he yeah. just didn't have anything to say with most of his movies to me. Um, but, you know, I'll definitely give another watch. A director, please I, I, stay I think humble. Godard has a lot to say, but yeah. he doesn't end up saying much uh, by the end of it. Where I think I think this guy says a lot by showing and not uh, and presenting stuff. I, I think there's some, still some good takeaways from this. I just wish IMDb was working for me right now so I could pull the... There's no trivia. There's them. no trivia. Like I looked. There's up no trivia. IMDb and yeah, I couldn't find a trivia page. Well, that that's also where I think films like this are. You know, they're they're still overlooked and underrated enough that you really have to dig into yourself. Yeah, to like find greener the grass. Like I think there. it had like two or one piece of trivia information about it. Like the rest of it I had to gain yeah. gather from an interview. That was like an indie interview uh, that had like a few hundred views to it. <laughs> like that's all the behind the scenes information I could gather about that movie. And it's kind of shame that, that films like this get under the radar so much that you can't even mm -hmm. like dig up interesting information for it on the internet unless you really 
really look for it. But by the time that happens, most people will be turned off, which is I, I feel like that. I feel like that. That's a uh, <laughs> that's fitting. Um, but uh, I feel like that's a uh, that's another film that I feel like I should look at again because I didn't quite enjoy it as much as I yeah. wanted to. If you uh, look at I that film it. again, I will look at a Snake of June again. All right. All right. But yeah, I see. Uh, I I see people giving this pretty high ratings for the most part. Yeah. Uh, I, it's it. got a six point eight out of uh, on IMDb, which is very frustrating. Ah, we were so close. Up. Come on, man. No, just one more. But um, I mean, I could go on with this film, but again, I don't have like a clear full thesis statement. I do want to hear other perspectives on it. I know you're kind of undecided, but you're yeah, wasn't sorry. you wasn't quite feeling it, and that's fine. It's it makes you feel a lot of things you wouldn't uh, expect to. And it's uh, it's a lot to process, but I remember being quite enthralled by it. And like, there is something here. I don't know what it is, but we we got to talk about it. Uh, maybe <laughs> we could point. do this in a later episode, like a second take with another guest. Like maybe oh, we could give this another try. I, if, if Saria has time to to look at it, I'd like to hear her take on it. I'd like to be uh, yes, please. Yeah, I, I'd like to be surprised by different perspectives. Right. Uh, for me though, just. Without thinking too much, just going on pure feeling and just how much it compels me, I'm going to give it a 9.6. Wait, you'd say it's better than Woman in the Dunes? I wouldn't say better, but preferable. Yeah, personal favorite. I get that. (laughs) Uh, And this one gets a 6.9. Yeah, but that is guaranteed to change for better or for worse. I'm not quite sure yet. Like you said, there definitely is something here, like Either or not, it, you know, connected with me personally, I can't really say right now, unfortunately, but there definitely is something here. There is a vision and a voice, and this is just shouting nonsense, like you said, with Godard or sure. other directors that try to imitate Cronenberg to an extent. There's something here, yeah. and I just gotta try and find it. So, 6.9 for now, but that is guaranteed it, to change. It, it, it rubbed you some way, but you're not sure if it's the right way or the wrong way. Yeah, it didn't really <laughs> get me as wet as I wanted it to. <laughs> this was at least there wasn't sand mixed in the mixed in there. Oh god, when sand gets wet, oh that is that's irritating as it gets. This was first day Swift Mori. Thank you guys so much for listening in. Thank you, Devin, once again for being a wonderful co-host. And if Soraya, if you're listening into this, we miss you, man. Good luck on st- set of Star Trek. Woman, tune into the woman. Oh, okay. Like I meant man as like a t- general term. Listen I here. know, I'm just nitpicking. None of that nonsense. <laughs> uh, speaking of nitpicks, uh, next week we're talking about a bunch of westerns. Steven has a crazy episode cooked up for us. Uh, the Power of the Dog is included. Uh, whatever Gina Carano's new upcoming western. That I think is streaming for free online on the internet, if I'm not mistaken. That's also going to be fun we're talking wow. about. And The Wild Bunch we'll as well. So we're, 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 we're getting thrown right back into the fucking sands after I <laughs> we after I we climbed out of the sands we climbed out of the sand spent some time in the city got a little wet and now we're just thrown right back into the sand again god damn it uh, Stephen why do you do I'm, this to I'm us I'm looking forward to to <laughs> I'm looking forward to that don't worry oh uh, that will be a... not wait uh, shit on shut in and uh, and the films that came prior to it oh whoo. <laughs> All right, I'm so not in the lead there at all. <laughs> all right, uh, stay tuned for Conan, and uh, is it first day yet? Have a great night.